Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and UU, the podcast for everyone. I'm Reverend McKinley Sims. I serve at UU Restoration in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And what follows here is the audio from my sermon on Advent and the Resistance. Advent as awe for the Resistance. I had the sniffles this day, so please excuse the sniffles, but I hope you find it meaningful. Amen. When I was 14, as a freshman in high school, maybe eighth grade, towards the end of eighth grade, I remember driving from Lubbock to Austin, Texas, to go see the ultimate athletic endeavor for a young boy from West Texas, which was the state basketball tournament, the UIL High School State Basketball Tournament. And we were not in it because uh, we had me, and <laughs> I like to go to see folks who would go on to play at the college level and in the NBA. And I remember something about being in the Frank Irwin Center at the University of Texas, because it's all these towns from across Texas. And if you're from the town whose team has made it to the state tournament, you of course come and you are very invested. You are cheering, you are living and dying with every play. But a lot of us were there just to see some good basketball. And we didn't really have a, you know, a horse in the race. We were just there to kind of experience. So it got to be a pattern where the game would start and people would be excited and then the game would go on and a lot of folks would just kind of be hanging out, waiting. And if the game was a blowout, people would go get snacks, go to the bathroom. We didn't have smartphones back then, but read books, I guess. And people went about their daily lives just sitting in the same place. But if the game was close, if the game was tied, everyone in the stadium might be sitting, waiting, until there's one minute left in the game. And then as soon as the one minute mark ticked off, the announcer would say, one minute, one minute remaining. And everyone, regardless of where you were from, all stands up in anticipation. I can remember it so clearly that the sense of waiting, the sense of anticipation about what is about to happen was palpable. It was awesome. The excitement, the fear, the energy, the hope, the joy, it was all wrapped up in this building. The Christian season of Advent, if you're not familiar, is a time of waiting, right? Christians look towards Christmas, so they have this month of waiting. Waiting with joy, waiting with hope, waiting with expectation. We sang the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's an Advent hymn. Some of us are doing some waiting during Advent, waiting to do Christmas shopping, waiting to check some things off our New Year's resolution from last year, <laughs> waiting for change in the world, waiting for change in the political situation. Advent, when it was first started, had echoes of this waiting for the world to change. Right, the early Christians come out of the Jewish tradition where they're waiting on something called the Messiah. We've heard this word. It comes from the Hebrew word Meshiach, and it means God's anointed one. Right? But there are a lot of people who are referred to God's anointed ones. 
throughout scriptures. So Christians have a particular slant on it, but that's not the only person who is labeled the anointed one. Waiting for heroes who will change the world is what Advent is about in my reading. It's about waiting on heroes who will stand up for the oppressed against the forces of empire and the forces of evil. Someone like Rosa Parks, who we talked about. Someone who helps change the world. That's what Advent is about. Some of us are waiting on something very specific that comes out before Christmas. And if you're like me, you know that that is the newest Star Wars movie. (laughs) The Rise of Skywalker. The last Star Wars movie in the great saga of the balance of good versus evil, the light side of the force versus the dark side of the force. Show of hands, are, you, are we familiar with Star Wars at all? Am I, okay, I'm talking to my people here, good. If you are not familiar, Star Wars is your basic story about good versus evil. There is the scrappy, originally called the Rebel Alliance, that fights against the evil empire. The metaphor could not be more clear, right? They have... The, the traditional tropes of everything that is wrong with the world, the forces of oppression, the evil regime, and the scrappy underdogs who form a resistance movement. So if you haven't seen the very first Star Wars movie, that's actually episode four. It's very confusing, but stay with me. There's something called the Death Star, a giant battle station that has a huge laser that can blow planets up. And the point of the Star Wars story is, of course, that the underdogs, the resistance, the rebel alliance, blows up the Death Star, defeating the empire, the evil empire. I love this story. And it's a story that's still going on. But recently, folks have started becoming a little bit more critical about the Star Wars story, treating it a little bit more like holy writing, and questioning it. And saying the Death Star is this huge battle station Crewed by, I don't know, a million people? Is everyone who is part of the empire evil? Even though we call it the evil empire. Is everyone who's on the battle station, the Death Star, that gets blown up? Are they all guilty? That's kind of a fascinating question. Do we talk about guilt in a system? We talk about a white supremacist culture and a white supremacist system here in this country. Is everyone who lives there guilty? The difference between systems versus people. So I've been thinking about this a lot. What does resistance in the time of Trump look like with a system that created him? Is that really the empire that we ought to be focusing on? Because I firmly believe that we are living in the empire right now. And when you are living in empire, as the story of Advent shows us, there are two options. You are either part of the empire or you are part of the resistance. That is the dichotomy, right? You cannot serve two masters, they say. You are either part of the resistance or you are servants of the empire. And that is a hard pill to swallow if we are living in the empire. Because then I have to ask myself, which side am I on? There's a a funny internet graphic going around of a British soldier in the typical red coat army. British Empire has a history of colonialism and poor treatment of people of color. I think we're all familiar with this. 
And it's a British soldier looking at his friend and saying, wait, are we the bad guys? Are we guilty? I feel friction from that. I feel anxiety from that. I also feel a sense of hope in that question. It's not unlike the end of the basketball game, right? Once you kind of hear that question, you kind of stand up and say, wait, what's going on here? The stories of Advent from the Christian tradition lift up John the Baptist, also called John the Baptizer, and Jesus of Nazareth, these births that showcase some kind of resistance against the empire. These prophets of resistance who are called messiahs, God's anointed ones. Anointed ones who rail against what then was the evil empire, the Roman empire. Right? The story of Advent comes out of a time of Roman occupation of Palestine. So people like John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth, people who are executed by the state for crimes of sedition, going against the empire, puts a whole new spin on Christmas for me. Roman occupation that privileges Roman citizens above foreigners, privileging citizens above foreigners, creating massive wealth inequality, props up leaders that don't represent their people's best interest and serve only those with money and power. Does that sound familiar? The story of waiting on the one or the ones who will put love into action and who will help change the world and fight the empire. That's a different understanding of what it means to be God's anointed. Even in that time. So the story of Advent is about waiting. So I've been thinking about waiting. And I feel like there are different kinds of waiting. You can passively wait, where you sit on your hands and twiddle your thumbs and wait for the next election. Wait for the end of the world, as some people are. I don't know how much good that does. I think the story of Advent is about actively waiting. I think the story of Star Wars is about actively waiting. Actively waiting on changing the world. Because the world will not change itself. There's something that we talk about, co-creation of the world we want to see. We speak of beloved community. Beloved community does not build itself. The kingdom of God does not build itself. Co-creating the world we want to see. A world where everyone has homes and health care and wealth. There are no billionaires, but everyone has what they need. This is what the story of Advent pretends when it speaks about the kingdom of God, the beloved community. So, my friends, how are we waiting in this season? Not just this month, but the months after. Are we, as Bishop Dwayne Royster of Power Interfaith put it, are we servants of the empire, in my case, chaplains of the empire, or are we prophets of the resistance? That is the choice. And like I said, I felt friction in that choice. I felt anxiety in that choice. But I had to make a choice when confronted with that question. Am I a servant of the empire or am I part of the resistance? So I made that choice. And I was sitting there waiting waiting on the cold asphalt outside of Terminal B, the American Airlines terminal, 
on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, on the busiest travel day of the year, when me and 38 of my friends walked into the street of the Departures Road and laid down in the street, protesting American Airlines' lack of quality health care for some of their workers and their contract workers. The Sky Chef workers, the people who make the meals that go on overnight and long-distance flights, they don't have great health care. So I was laying on the ground and I felt the cold earth below me and I looked up and I could see the stars somehow. And a man came over and looked down at me and my clergy collar in this stall and said, sir, you are under arrest. And a photographer from the Philadelphia Inquirer snapped our picture and we were marched away to the paddy wagon because people's lives are at stake. When I was first asked to be, to risk arrest by laying in the departure road of Philly Airport on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, my first thought was, well, that's kind of a lot. What about those people trying to get their, to their flights? Are they guilty? Are they part of the empire that American Airlines represents? And I had to deal with my own discomfort about it because people's lives are at stake. And that's something that is often overlooked by people with privilege like me. That in these times, you are either a servant of the empire or you are a prophet of the resistance. And being part of the resistance is not always fun and comfy. And as much as I would love to do it from behind a keyboard on Facebook, it does not work that way. Claudette Colvin, the young woman who preceded Rosa Parks, she was not uh, taken off the bus and given a fine like Rosa Parks was. She was arrested and taken downtown and put in adult jail and treated horribly. But people's lives are at stake. So when they put the cuffs on us and they marched us through the road into the paddy wagon, we did not have to go all the way downtown, thankfully, because of our wonderful organizers. But I had to sit through the whole process and get processed and uh, at one point, they were taking my description and said, sir, where do you, what do you do? Occupation? I was like, <laughs> clergy, minister? And he goes, who's your employer? And I had to make a decision. I was like, do I put restoration on here? And will that cause us problems in the future? Or do I go with my first instinct? And he said, sir, employer? And I said, God? <laughs> And he goes, I'm writing that down. <laughs> so it, it ended up being a time of joy and a time of, of light. And it could have gone differently. But we were organized and we had some power. And we were not the enemy and the police were not the enemy in this situation. That's not always the case, but that's how it went for us. But for the workers who we were there to support can make $10 an hour and have to pay $6,000 towards healthcare a year. That's the empire, right? That's the system that needs to change. People's lives are at stake and I cannot get caught up worrying about my own discomfort or the discomfort of people who have to wait a few more minutes to get on their plane because people's lives are at stake and to be part of the resistance to build a beloved community of all souls is not always easy. 
And I found that empire wants us to stay comfortable. Empire wants us to stay complacent and to be complicit. And if we are always comfortable, we are servants of empire. And what gave me the most hope and the most strength as I was waiting to be put in the paddy wagon and taken to where we were going is that we were not passively waiting. We were actively waiting. And Pastor Nick O'Rourke was there. And he was singing as we were led away in handcuffs, singing a Pete Seeger song. Which side are you on, my children? Which side are you on? Which side are we on? In that moment, I felt awe. I felt the weight of it. And I found that I am called to it. That is my prophetic resistance. So in that choice, are we servants of empire or are we prophets of resistance? I want to lift up that not everyone has to join me on the departure roads of the Philly airport. In my tradition, there are many kinds of prophets. Prophets who go out and speak, prophets who tend the fires at home, who cook the meals, who coordinate the logistics, who make sure the trains run on time. We all have something that we can do. I hope that we do it with singing. I hope that we do it with anticipation. Because all of us need all of us to survive, as we've been learning. And I believe that that's where the awe is, when we all find our place in the resistance. I think this is what love, with a capital L, demands of us. Love in action. Like Rosa Parks, like the other great civil rights heroes, like John the Baptizer and Jesus of Nazareth, who put their lives at risk and spoke out against the evils of empire because lives were at stake. We cannot love the empire and the holy we have to pick, and the ability to pick, for me, is part of my privilege. And that's something that always needs to be lifted up because many of us do not get to pick. Empire does not value some of us does not care if we are comfortable or complacent. And that is the insidious nature. And that is why sometimes Death Stars get blown up. And it's why the resistance lives on in many different forms. So I'm in awe of those heroes of the resistance, the heroes that I will go and see on December 20th, I think, when it comes out, when I read the stories about John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth and Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin and Martin Luther King Jr. and all of the great heroes of resistance against empire. That's what they have in common and is what they're calling us to do. So I'm no longer passively waiting, not just sitting on my hands waiting to see the end of the basketball game. I'm standing up in the last minute. I'm anticipating, I'm waiting to see the new thing that is about to be born. Because what I learned when I was 14 in Austin, Texas, is that when the new thing is born, when something amazing happens out of this anticipation, there is hurt and anger for some. But for the vast majority, the people who have been oppressed, the people who are looking for liberation, 
you meet it with thunderous cheers and applause and high fives and joy. That's what's waiting to be born for us, I think. All that we have to do is decide how we choose to wait for it. To do so with hope, with courage, and with love, and to ask ourselves every day, which side are you on, children? Which side are you on? Amen.